0: So we're continuing through the book of Ephesians. We're going more into all the practical ramifications of the theology, the doctrine that Paul had shared with us. People generally divide the book of Ephesians into two parts. The first three chapters are considered primarily doctrinal, and the last three chapters are considered more practical. Um, in reality, they're saturated with doctrine and satur- saturated with that which is practical as well. But we've been seeing, as Paul's been sharing in the fourth chapter, the, about the, the life change that's supposed to happen when you've been saved. He, he laid the foundation of explaining that salvation is a gift from God. It's by grace. You can't earn it. You don't have to do anything to get right with God. You just receive that work that Jesus did on the cross for you. And, and really, that's, it's good news for us, the gospel is, because if we had to earn it, we couldn't. There's no way we can make ourselves good. And yet, it's not devoid from the idea of a changed life because the reason why we need to be saved is because we're messed up. We're doing things that are killing ourselves and killing each other. And so it is God's desire to change our lives. It's just that he doesn't need for us to do it. He wants to do that work by his spirit. But we do make a conscious choice to decide what kind of a life we want to be living. It's what it means to become a Christian ultimately is that you are, as he said in chapter four, putting off who you used to be and putting on a a different lifestyle, a different uh, set of values. You, You make that decision. It's called repentance. You change direction. You decide to agree with God, confessing your sins and go, yeah, he's right. I'm messed up. I'm I'm doing it wrong. I want to do it differently. And so when we come to Christ, we are saying, I want my life to change. If the life doesn't change, it's not doing us a whole lot of good. There's really no evidence that anything different has happened within us. So now we've come to chapter 5, and he kind of here in the first couple of verses really gets down to the bottom line of it all, and he says, therefore on the basis of what he's been saying. And what he's been saying is put off the old life, put on the new life, quit being so bitter and angry and start being forgiving, make these changes. And he goes, therefore, be imitators, mimics literally, of God as dear children. That word dear is the word agape, loved. So as children who are loved and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Understand, he says, that you are loved. God loves you dearly. He loves you deeply. The love that he has for you ought to have a transforming effect in your life, though. And so... Understand that the way life is supposed to be lived, you learn it by looking at Him and doing what He does, living life the way it was shown to us in Jesus Christ and how He lived. And then the reminder of His love, you know, He loved us and gave Himself as an offering, a gift, and a sacrifice, a payment that was a sweet-smelling aroma that is that God accepted when Jesus Christ died for us. And it all comes down to imitating God and walking in love. and Those are the same things because the Bible tells us God is love. Now, to become a Christian really means to, to come and say, I want to be like him. I want to be an imitator of him. The word Christian is like you are taking on the identity of Christ. You're wanting to be like Christ. Sometimes people think that becoming a Christian just means saying, I want to go to heaven. But the only way to go to heaven is to decide to submit your life to Jesus Christ and to want to be like him, to do things his way. It wouldn't be much of a salvation if it left us in the same miserable state that we were in before he came. And ultimately, the great description of that is walk in love. Walk is a good metaphor for how you live your life. It's taking one step at a time. Now, a lot of times we go, yeah, there are two paths that you can go on. Actually, I think Led Zeppelin said that in Stairway to Heaven. But, um, you know, it's as if there are two different paths. The reality is there's one path, it's your life. And you're either taking steps toward one direction or you're taking steps in the other direction. You don't all of a sudden find yourself on a completely different road. The reality is every moment we are making decisions. And as we make decisions, we decide, am I going to walk in love? Am I going to walk in the way that God tells us to live, the way He is? Or am I going to walk in the other direction? And the truth is, on a good or a bad day, we're taking steps in both directions, sometimes two steps one way and one in the other way. But what God wants us to do is to head in the right direction, and that direction is the direction of love. Now, that's not very controversial. Most people would go, Yeah, you know, even foreigner, I want to know what love is. Show me what love is. And, and, you know, the Beatles, all you need is love. You know, love, love, love. Everybody's in favor of love. But the problem is the world has a really distorted understanding of really what love is. And the world has 10 jillion alternatives to love, imitators to love, And so that's why we need to be imitators of God, because he is the one who, as a very definition, God is love. And so we have to go his way, we have to do it his way, if we're going to find real love. But understand this, almost everyone out there, whether they know Christ or not, they're motivated by a desire for love. They're doing what they think they need to do in order to find the pathway of love. But the Bible teaches, and Paul here makes it really clear, no, the real direction of love, one step at a time, is to do what God says, is to obey him, do it his way. And sometimes that doesn't look all warm and fuzzy, for, for Jesus, it meant sacrificing himself. For us, often, the road to love, the walk of love, means that we need to make sacrifices, that there are certain things that we need to deny ourselves of. Now, ultimately, where that leads is love and fulfillment and blessing. We will always be blessed, even as Christ, when he gave his life, then he was highly exalted. And so for us as well, when we take on that mentality and we're willing to sacrifice for love, for that which God says, it always pays off. But the world has all sorts of other ways of doing it, and that's why he shifts gears in verse 3 and continues the thought. But you know, so far, the first two verses, nobody's going to argue too much about. In fact, it sounds like a great Mother's Day message, you know, your dear children walk in love. You can hear the little bells going off and see Bambi running through the woods, and then all of a sudden he goes, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetous, it's like, wait a minute, couldn't you save that for next week? I mean, let's just do the warm fuzzy deal. But in order to understand what it is to walk in love, we also need to see the alternatives to love for what they are and 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 not to be fooled by it and so that's why when Paul's talking about walking in love and taking steps in that direction he goes by the way there are some things that are that are, maybe even have good motivation in a sense because there are things that people try to do to try to find love but he's going That's not the path that you want to be on. That's not where you will find real ultimate fulfillment and blessing. It's really not where you'll find love at all. And so he says, fornication, which means any kind of basically sexual sin going against what what God says. It's the word pornaya in the Greek from which we get our word pornography. But it's any kind of twisting of that which God says we ought to do in that area. And he says, in all uncleanness, we talked about this word over the last couple weeks. It's, it's the word um, acatharsis. Catharsis meaning cleansing or healing, and A is a negative. And so it's saying the kind of behavior that you think is going to heal you, but it really doesn't it's it's anything but healing it's really destructive and kind of lumps it in here and, or covetousness and uh, it's kind of weird that he throws it in there because covetousness which is i want more i want more i want more i mean we don't call it covetousness we call it shopping you know we call it our economy <laughs> we call it everything that motivates and makes our nation move forward is based on making people want more. And he goes, you can try to get more and more and more, but that is not on the pathway that you really want to be on. And he says, this kind of behavior, don't let it even be named among you as is fitting for saints. He goes, you can do better than that. That's not the kind of lifestyle that you want to live. And then he goes on to say, a filthy mouth, neither filthiness, which is just obscenities, nor foolish talking. Um, that's two words put together, the word logos, which is word or, or conversation, and the word moron, which is moron. Uh, <laughs> moronic talking, the kind of talking in this area is just stupid. It's not it's not helpful at all, and nor coarse jesting. That's a word that means twisting double entendre like uh, basically the way most dirty jokes are just kind of a subtle thing where you know and dirty jokes are the cheapest way to get a laugh by the way Um, and that's why most funny movies today you don't even want to go see them they're so disgusting because the easiest way to get somebody to laugh is to make them really uncomfortable and kind of embarrassed and then slide this little clever thing in there what he goes and you know he says no that's not fitting but if you want to talk, give thanks. He provides this as an alternative. He goes, instead of all that foul language, how about having people hear out of your mouth how thankful you are? Now, think about it. Somebody tells a dirty joke. Sometimes it might make you laugh. And you go, oh, that's pretty good. And, And then you go, why did I laugh at that? Somebody's telling you a joke because they really want to get a good reaction. They want you to think that they're clever. They, they want to make you laugh the way they laughed. And then you're all feeling kind of yuck afterwards, you know. And, but if you really want to make somebody feel good, tell them thank you. Tell them that you appreciate them for some reason. And that also makes you feel good when you do it. That's really healing. That's really helpful. That's the kind of, to say thanks and to be thankful and to have a positive attitude toward life is a way that will bring pleasure and joy and love into people's lives in a way that saying gross, sickening things will never do. And so he goes, the bad behavior and even the bad talk, you can do better than that. It's not appropriate. And then he he lowers the boom in verse 5, and he says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean or unhealing person, nor covetous man, so I guess women are okay, who is an idolater because... Wanting more, coveting, being greedy is, is the same as idolatry. He says those people don't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Great verse, by the way, for the deity of Christ. They don't have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now there's another passage over in 1 Corinthians six, there's an even longer list and and that should concern us, certainly. when he says, hey, this is the kind of behavior that means you won't inherit the kingdom of God, we should take it seriously. And in that one, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals or sodomites or thieves or covetous or drunkards or partiers or crooked businessmen will inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> wow, that's, a, that's a, quite a list of people who can't go to heaven, it seems like. And boy, depending on how you define the terms, this can either become something that you take great pleasure in because you love to slam people and go, because of your sin, you can't go to heaven. The Bible says, you're you sodomite, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then you go, but wait a minute. People are covetous? Ugh, <laughs> really? That's somebody who, you know, is a reveler, somebody who, who gets drunk? What is this? Well, something we ought to understand because he goes, I don't want you to be fooled. A lot of people are. Now, first of all, what doesn't it mean? It can't possibly mean that anyone who does any of these things can't be saved because he spent three chapters pouring into us. You're not saved by what you do. You don't earn salvation. It's a gift from God. It's, it's free, you can't do anything to make him love you more. You can't do anything to make him love you less. You're forgiven based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So if it's true that, that nobody who's done any of these things can go to heaven, then nobody's going to heaven. Unless you can twist the scriptures enough to think that you're not guilty. But man, I read that list and I go, have you ever, have you ever wanted more Have you ever taken one more bite than what you really needed to be full? Have you ever bought something that you didn't need? Can't inherit the kingdom of God? Ooh, that's rough. But here's what he's saying. And in every one of those cases, this is behavior that is designed to find some kind of love. People who commit adultery... Commit adultery because generally they think they're going to find love that they haven't found in a more legitimate avenue. Same thing with any kind of fornication. Same thing with homosexuality, as he mentions. It's like people are going, I need to be loved and I want to love and therefore I'm going to do this to try to find it. It's the same reason you shop. Now, that isn't love. And it's not healthy, it's not good, it's not healing. And it's important for us to understand the things that we do that we think are going to make us feel better, but they really don't. It's important for us to understand those things that we think are healing us that really aren't healing us, because we are to be heading in a direction that's different than that. And we need to understand that. I mean there are some things that people do that they think are healing, that they think help, that really don't, but it's not really hurting anything. This morning, I was kind of woke up, my throats kind of still have a little thing in the back of my throat, and and, um, and so Ann was concerned for me, and so she gets her bottle of some kind of stuff that's called like wellness, so it must make you well, right? And And and, you know, and so I want to humor her. It's Mother's Day. And so uh, there isn't any shred of me that believes that when I choke down three of these horse pills, that it's going to make me well. I know better, okay? I don't care if it's got ginkgo, whatever, echinacea, golden seal. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to heal my cold, okay? I understand that. Now, a whole bunch of people buy that stuff because they believe it well in the same way all of this kind of behavior that paul's talking about that's all it is it's stupid wellness pills it's witch doctors it's ridiculous stuff that somehow you think it's going to make you better but it will not make you better and paul is going wake up that stuff that's a substitute for god's love is not healing you It's not fixing you. And you can do so much better than that. You don't want to live that way. Now, hey, we all delve in it. We all take steps in that direction. None of us has a right to point the finger and judge anyone else. I I hate that we beat people over the head with some of these scriptures. We should all feel guilty. But. At the same time, we should realize what it is and what the remedy is. It's understanding that God loves you dearly, that you're his child, that he has better for you than this stuff. And so, I mean, that's why over there in 1 Corinthians 6, if you had read on, after he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God, then he says, And such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified. God rescued you from that delusion. God showed you that you don't have to chase those rabbit trails anymore, that you don't have to go down that road, and then you think you're going to find love there. It's not that way. It doesn't work like that. And so here he's going, that's not appropriate for a saint. That's not appropriate for somebody who God loves. You ought to know He loves you and therefore doing things his way, imitating him, walking in righteousness is what ultimately will lead to everything that you're looking for in life. You know, and it may not seem like it. You may feel like, man, I have a desire to be loved and God just hasn't provided me with a a person who loves me and I love them. So therefore, I have to take a shortcut. It's not a shortcut. It's a a complete detour from what God has for you. It will stand in the way. If you choose to live an immoral lifestyle, it's going to get in the way of what God has for you, of his blessing. Realize, yeah, there are sacrifices to living a godly life, but every one of them is so worth it giving up the ability to, then, to try to fulfill your flesh in whatever way that you can, and instead doing it his way and imitating him and realizing, ah, oh, he loves me. He accepts me. I am his dear child will finally get us off that treadmill that is destroying people, that is destroying this world, that ultimately, as he says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. He goes, that's what Jesus died for. That's why he's ultimately going to have to destroy this place. That's why ultimately people are destroying themselves, and and those people who reject Jesus Christ are going to go to hell because they chose to live that kind of life. You don't want to live that kind of life. You don't want to be just like them. Now, he's not saying, you guys aren't Christians. No, he's talking to Christians. It's not that if you've done one of these sins, you're not saved. Of course not. He's talking to people who are God's dear children. And what he's saying is, yeah, most of the people in this world who are going to hell, that's what they are pursuing. You want to live a better life than that. God has something better for you than that. Don't keep heading in the same direction that you were in before you found Christ. When, when you come to Jesus, it's, it should be because you realize, I can do better than this. I don't want to keep destroying myself. I don't want to keep hurting others. I don't want to keep conning people and working angles and lying in order to get my flesh fulfilled. And I don't want to live that way anymore. And Paul goes, yeah, there's a way better way to live, but, and and it's important that we recognize this because in both passages, he says, don't be deceived. And that's something that I have to call attention to it. I know it's Mother's Day, but but I have to because there are people who believe that they are Christians who aren't. They're fooling themselves into thinking that they can just have the same life they always had and because in their head they decide that, yeah, I want to believe Jesus is God, therefore, hey, you're set, you're okay. He goes, man, don't, don't be fooled. If this is the direction of your life, you're not heading in a way that will allow you to inherit the kingdom of God. It's, not, it's kind of like in, in 1 John where John says, okay, first of all, he starts out in the first chapter and he goes, everybody sins, okay? So don't act like you don't have a sin. But he goes, on the other hand, if the pattern of your life is darkness rather than light, you don't know God. If you know God, things are gonna change in your life. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you look just like people who are going to hell, You might be going to hell. That should be something that you should be concerned about. Jesus, over in Matthew, uh, in the seventh chapter, he he said, there's going to be people who go, Lord, Lord, remember me? And he goes, no, I never knew you. And he goes, how can you tell? Because of what you do. Now, what you do doesn't make you saved. But being saved and understanding what that means changes what you do. It changes how you live. So what do we do? We, we look at ourselves and I go, uh-oh, I'm having a problem with coveting. I'm having a problem with just fulfilling all of my lusts. I'm having a problem doing things that he says don't belong in the kingdom of God you're only one step away from heading in the right direction. You don't have to pay for those sins. Jesus paid for them. I don't care if you just spent the whole week living a life that looks like hell. You can decide right now, my next step is going to be to walk in love. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to repent. I'm going to go in a different direction. I am going to let God love me, and I'm going to respond to his love. I'm going to stop settling For all these imitation loves, for all these fake ways to to get fulfillment, I'm going to turn and I'm going to go the right way. And you know what? That's a decision that we have to make all day long. (laughs) I can take a step in this direction and go, boy, that felt like hell. I could take a step in this direction and go, I feel loved. It's just, what do we do? How do we live? And, and that all comes down to not your discipline, not how structured your life is, not going, I gotta stop doing this. Every one of these sins, you do because you don't understand how much God loves you. You do because you're not walking in his grace. And, and so you're trying to do what he has already done for you, giving you everything that you could possibly need. And and so if you're struggling, if you look at your life and go, you know, to be honest with you, my life pretty much looks like it did before I came to Christ. Truth is, I'm pretty much doing what everybody else out there is doing. Don't beat yourself up. Back up a little bit and again, go back to the first few chapters and look how much he loves you. Because somebody who's a loved child of God who's secure in his love, doesn't live their life in a way that's constantly grasping for imitations to love. They walk in love, as he says here. And and that's what he calls us to. That's what he wants us to do. And, And another way of saying that is that we imitate him. We're willing to sacrifice because we believe it's worth it. Because we know that when I deny my flesh, when I give up certain things that my body's telling me I want to do, that, man, it's so worth it. There's so much fulfillment on the other side of that decision. Walking one step at a time in love. Don't get discouraged. It's a process. And you may spend large amounts of your Christian life even in defeat. Because Satan's a liar, but he's really a good liar. But don't be fooled. Hey, that's not the way that we're going to find love. That's not the way we're going to be fulfilled. One of the things that I'm embarrassed about as a Christian is that how bad we are at getting this message across. How, how bad we are at letting people who uh, you look at people who are living a sinful lifestyle, And man, we want to scream against them. We want to make laws against them. We want to do everything we can. We're going to fix those heathens. No, if they're not a child of God, you shouldn't expect them to do anything but what they are doing, grasping for fake things. That's what people who aren't loved by God do. But how's that going to change? It's going to change the same way for them as it did for you somehow they've got to understand what it is to be loved by God. They've got to find that security in being accepted by God that he sees them just the way they are with their struggles and he gets it. And he goes, I died for that. You don't have to keep living that way. You can do better than that. You can find a life that is full and rich and rewarding in a way that your sinful life could never do. You know, one thing we don't have to worry about is non-Christians out there being just really happy where they are. (laughs) They can pretend. But walking a sinful lifestyle is never fulfilling. The trouble is there are a lot of Christians who are living that same lifestyle And so we make Christianity look judgmental and ugly and awful. I mean, we're out there just screaming against sin like it's a big threat to us. Hey, I am not threatened by the fact that there are people out there doing horrible things. And when I hear somebody using foul language or whatever, you know, it hurts me because I know that that's showing what's inside of them. But you know, if I fix all that, it'd be like polishing the brass on a sinking ship. You know, the answer is everybody out there who doesn't know God loves them needs to know that God loves them. The only way they're going to see that is if we love them and they can discover that they can be dear children of God, loved children of God. And that's our task. And that's why we need to imitate him and walk in love because our message can change the world. And if we are letting the world change us or if we come short of the transformation that God really wants to do in our lives, then people look at us and go, you don't have anything to offer me. And yet, the way it should be is people who are living an imitation life, who are trying to find love in illicit ways, who are trying to find fulfillment in ways that will never satisfy them, what they ought to feel is, wow, those Christians really care about me. They really love me, and they keep telling me that God loves me. How could he? I, I'm doing things that go against everything that he says. Exactly. Exactly. And he loves you that much more because of that. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. That's the message that we have to carry. We've got to get it through. It starts with us. Take a look at your life. Is your life dominated by the kinds of things that he says are not a part of the kingdom of God? You can do better than that. That's not an appropriate way to live. And, and, and God can't use you to share his love until you learn it. So don't go out of here feeling awful today. Go out of here feeling blessed. God loves you. He sees what a phony you are. If you are committing adultery right now, or you're in fornication, or if your whole life is all about coveting, if you're living in any kind of a sinful, fleshly lifestyle at all, if you have a foul mouth, if you're mean to others, if you cheat other people, if you're stealing and lying and whatever, you know what his attitude is toward you? Not disdain. He doesn't see you as despicable. He loves you. Because he knows when you see his love, you will be delivered from what's destroying you. And our job as believers is to make sure that our life shows a real alternative lifestyle of living fulfilled lives, walking in love and imitating him, and then to get that message across to others. He loves you. You can become his dear child. Walk in love. Take a step in that direction. And every time you take a step in the other direction, when you sound bitter and angry, when you're not forgiving, when things come out of your mouth that are ugly instead of thanksgiving, go, okay, that's a step in that direction, but I'm going the other way. I don't want to live like this. God has something better for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It convicts us and at the same time it forgives us. Lord, there are some of us, maybe, who are fooling ourselves. And the truth is that since we've supposedly become Christians, nothing's really changed. There are people here I know who are just living double lives. One way at church and another way the rest of the week. Lord, I'm thankful that when you see that kind of hypocrisy, you don't snuff it out. You embrace the person who has been so fooled into believing that that's real. Lord, help us to find real love in you. Help us to learn to be more like you to walk in the love that sets us free from all of the deception that this world attempts to try to find love and yet it never works. Lord, help us to sense your love and help us to communicate it too so that when other people see us, that's what they see, your love shining forth through changed lives And Lord, none of us are where we ought to be, but I thank you that you've done things in most of our lives that we realize, wow, I've come a ways down the road. I'm, I'm still messed up in some areas, but man, you've done some great things for me, and I'm thankful for that. Lord, help us to keep going in the right direction on the path of life. In Jesus' name, amen.